Today's show is brought to you by Lightning Pod. If you have a podcast, you know that it's a lot of work. But Lightning Pod can help. We've been working with their founder, Eric Johnson, for more than a year now, and he's really helped us take the Smart Home Show to the next level. So if you're starting a new podcast or you want to make your existing podcast better, you should get in touch with Eric. Learn more at lightningpod.fm. Hey, this is Richard. Last time Adam and I spoke, we went through the smart home projects that I've been working on in my home, or homes as it were. Now it's Adam's turn. What's he accomplished this past year? And what's on his list of shame that he hasn't been able to get to yet? We wrapped the episode with his plans for this coming year, and I'm pretty sure one of them is a repeat. But let's get to it. This is what Adam has been up to in his smart home, 2021 edition. Hey everyone, I'm Adam Justice from ConnectSense. Welcome to the Smart Home Show. I'm joined as usual by my co-host Richard Gunther from the Digital Media Zone. And on last show, we talked about what's happened in the last year in Richard's home. And today we're going to dig in on what's been going on in mine. Hey Richard, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing? Pretty good. Pretty good. Well, presumably you've been up to a bunch of projects that we're going to talk about. But before we do that, as always, I have a question for you. And I think people are going to know my answer to this specific question. But Adam, you and I, we're grown adults. And like any grown men would talk about in normal conversation, I'm really curious, how much do you just love going to Disney? Are you a Disney guy? I would say I'm not a I'm not a full fledged Disney person, but I'm not a Disney hater. So um, <laughs> my 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 longest string of going to Disney um, when I was in high school, I was a band kid and I was in the marching band. And um, when we had great fun band directors, um, we had this tradition where we would go march in the Disney parade every year. And so that was super fun as a high school kid getting to go sans parents and, you know, go have a couple days at Disney. And it was kind of like the carrot on the end of the stick for do marching band. We do fun things. We go to Disney and then we changed band directors my junior year and then junior and senior year where we didn't do that trip. So I guess I went for two years in a row. That was a lot of fun. I've taken my older kids to the Magic Kingdom when they were young. I think that's been kind of our challenge is the kids weren't all in the right age to really kind of get it and be able to do all of it, things like that. And we're probably just getting to the place where my four-year-old is ready for Disney Magic. That's a little bit more complicated in post-pandemic life, but we probably should book something in the next year or two to do that. The last time we went, we went to Disneyland, which I had never done before. And actually really, I liked Disneyland. I like how walkable everything is and how it isn't, you know, all so far apart and all that kind of stuff. We stayed on property. So I really dug that and I would do that again. But uh, I mentioned we want to take my daughter who's four and I think would just eat it up. And I, as a Star Wars nerd, I really want to do the whole Galaxy's Edge thing. So, oh, you yes. haven't seen that? I haven't yet. seen that at all. Oh, Adam, 
It is so insanely cool. It is just insanely cool. And being taken to the next level. So we already know your answer about Disney. My question is, have you booked uh, a trip on the Galactic Star Cruiser yet? <laughs> well, I, I have not yet, but I frankly, I don't even know if it's possible to book, but I definitely will do this at some point. I had a trip planned to Disney World later this year. Fun fact, I think my longest stretch of going to Disney was every year for 20 years in a row. Wow. I broke that at some point in time, but I still go pretty regularly. I'm a Disney Vacation Club member now, but I do want to do the Star Cruiser. If you're not aware of this, this is a two-night, three-day, fully immersive kind of role-playing experience in a private hotel that they've created exclusively for this purpose. And it's attached to the galaxy's edge portion of the park. So you kind of have this seamless transition from being in this foreign land to being on this star cruiser where you're staying. I absolutely want to do this. They start at $4,800 for two people in a regular room for the two-night experience. I think that's all-inclusive, if I understand correctly. It's that a lot of money. It slightly easier to swallow. <laughs> but. Yeah, but it's a lot of money for sure. I'm, I, no doubt in my mind I will do it. I just don't know when I'll actually schedule it. I don't feel comfortable scheduling travel now, particularly, again, since we're seeing numbers go up. It just doesn't make sense in my mind to plan definitively on anything like that that's so out of my control. Yeah. Our friend of the show, Dan Seifert, uh, mentioned that it would be $6,000 for his family of four to go on the Galactic Star Cruiser. So uh, that's that's a lot to swallow. It looks amazing, and I would love to do it. I would love to take my sons to it. But, you know, my comment to Dan on Twitter was that now you understand why parents are stressed and like frustrated and angry with your children of like, why are you not having fun? Because if you spent six thousand dollars, <laughs> you better damn well have fun. Um, so, yeah, that that seems like a lot of pressure. So I think you have to look at it like a cruise, right? When when you're doing something like this, you're paying a flat fee that is way above what you would normally pay to stay in a hotel for that same period of time. I think you kind of need to look at it along the lines of that sort of an investment. But, but usually six $6,000 would get you more than two nights on a cruise. I guess for two people. Yeah. I For four I, people. But for yeah, four people. I don't know. I guess. We might cruise differently. Yeah. I don't know. It's definitely a high end, <laughs> a high end experience. So yeah, but yeah, it's awesome. For sure. I'll I'll let you be the uh, the guinea pig on that one, and and yours is a little bit cheaper because it's just you and your partner. So I will gladly accept that commission. All right. Well, if you want to submit a question for us to open the show, uh, send us a question on Twitter using the hashtag Ask Adam and Richard. All right. So. We are going to talk about what's been going on in my house. Uh, we talked about your house last uh, last time, and uh, 
to be honest, when I kind of went into this, I was thinking that I had more projects on what we're going to cover later, which is my list of shame, which is things that I bought but haven't done anything with. <laughs> but as I actually dug into it, I, I actually realized I've done more in the last year than I had given myself credit for. So, so yeah, we'll just go through kind of each one and, and talk about it a little bit and kind of go from there. So, cool. yeah. So, um, mine weren't in any particular like section of the house order, just, um, kind of random order, but um, the first one, I think maybe my favorite edition from the last year, which is uh, the Sonos Rome. Do you have a Sonos Rome yet? I do. I do. And I'm a big fan. Yeah, I, I like it. I think it's a cool design. It took me a while to figure out what I could and couldn't do when it is, in fact, roaming outside of my home. Because I took it with me on a trip. I'm like, oh, oh, I can't use the app with it when it's just a Bluetooth speaker. I I, I don't think I've had that full experience. Most of mine has been home adjacent and on Wi-Fi, so. But it's nice. But yeah, I you know, during the pandemic, I was trying to spend more time outside. I, like, rediscovered this area of our house called our patio, and at one point actually went on the search for an AirPlay 2 speaker for outside and ultimately found that everything that met that need was too expensive or too new or whatever. Probably the best thing I found was something from Bose, but it was too expensive. So when the Rome came out, it was an insta buy for me because it totally did what I wanted in the price range I wanted. And um, yeah, it's something I use regularly um, when I go to have meals outside, I'll listen to a podcast or um, some music or things like that. So I'm a fan. And I love that it also does wireless charging. I actually bought their magnetic charger thing. So it, it wouldn't kind of take up a spot on our charger. Um, my biggest complaint was it was not very clear at first how to actually turn it off. So I was constantly finding it with no battery when I wanted to use it. Yeah, as usual. Yeah. The interface on a Sonos device is terrible. Imagine that. Yeah. So having their dedicated charging little puck um, that's magnetic is really nice because that's just where it lives now, and then it's always charged. So um, that kind of solved that problem for me. I like that. I meant to purchase the base when I bought mine and forgot to. So I still need to do that. Yeah, I would recommend it. I mean, it will surprisingly, it works with any Qi charger. Uh, I didn't know that going into it. So I kind of ordered the base not knowing that. But unless you have a Qi charger that you want to dedicate to it, I think the base is the way to go. Um, my next one is in an area I think we're going to talk about a little bit later, but with um, certain products for monitoring your garage, I still find it is necessary to have a camera as a backup form of monitoring your garage. <laughs> yep. And my solution that for this for the longest time was a old drop cam that got bought by Nest and then showed up in the Nest app. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason that camera just kept going offline. So either they released a new one or it was on sale or whatever. I finally pulled the trigger and bought a ring stick up cam because I felt like the best, uh, the battery version. 
I felt like the best place for a camera was a place that there wasn't necessarily an outlet. So I just kind of stuck it on the back wall of our garage, did the battery thing. I think it's finally time after many months to change out the battery. But what I did was I bought a second battery and their little charger thing. So I'd always have a battery free, but it lasts a really long time on on that battery. So I like it. It's impressive. Uh, It does people detection, which I think is something they introduced across the whole ring ecosystem. Yeah. But that's particularly helpful, although I think we had to tune down the notifications a little bit because it was annoying my wife um, on people detection in the garage. <laughs> yeah, you need to probably, I don't know, figure out when you need the notifications and when you don't. I think the thing that I find a little tricky with people detection is that it still has problems with outdoor shadows where I have mine placed and I get all kinds of false positive people detections, which freaks me out because I have it at a door that people shouldn't be going to. Yeah. Well, we're going to talk about something, a way that they may be solving that in one of our further ones, or maybe we'll just switch things around and talk about that. Now, a recent purchase of mine was rings latest and greatest floodlight cam wired pro. Super confusing. I even had to go on their thing to figure out which one I actually have. And I own the thing. <laughs> they also have a, they have a wired cam plus, not the plus, the pro. The difference is the pro includes 3D motion detection. So this is like just installed in the last month. I set it up. And when you do the setup, they have you do some like walking in the area to test the 3D motion detection and determine like, can they determine if you're walking towards or away from the camera? I would say I haven't used the device a ton to actually know how well that works. I also don't think there's a lot of people. This is in my driveway, um, which in my house is... um, our house is a little bit differently configured. The driveway and the garage is in the back of the house and our, uh, the back of our house backs up to an alley. So one of the reasons I wanted that there, cause sometimes people walk through the alley and if anybody came into the driveway, you know, I want to know about it, but surprise, surprise, a lot of people don't walk into our driveway. So not a lot of actual notifications there. The other big things for this is it has a bird's eye view. I don't even really know what that means. And <laughs> dual band Wi-Fi. So hopefully better reception, especially when you're do- dealing with cameras outdoors um, that may be on kind of the fringe of your Wi-Fi network. That dual band comes in handy. Right. But the most important feature was it was not overly painful to set up. I don't know what it was about their old floodlight cams. I had another one. It was a challenge to set up just like to get it in the right setup mode. I don't know, but we may talk about this later. We may not, but we set up a floodlight cam at my parents lake house and ultimately had to send it back. And it was mounted up very high where you needed a tall ladder to access it. Like not a ladder we had around the house, right? Like a painter's ladder. And it was the most, probably the worst setup experience I had had. Like I called the company twice. Like it was just awful, awful, painful. So I don't know what was going on with that, that earlier product, 
but we literally got to the point where we set it, sent it back for a refund and then ordered this new model. And so that was what there being a new model that didn't have that problem, especially after dealing with that, um, was one of the things that kind of pushed me to get a second one for our house because I did not want to deal with that again. So it, it seems they've solved whatever setup issue the first one had. And doing some Googling online, it seemed like there were a lot of people that had that issue where you just couldn't get it into the right pairing mode. So setup is important and you got to do it right. Otherwise, people get very mad. And was that one of the more recent models or was it like the original floodlight cam? I, I want to say it was the previous generation, which may have been the first one. And this this new one is only the second generation. Interesting. And the problem, one of the problems with that one was like either the electrician or the painter had set it up. And so when you do this setup far away from when you actually go to set up the device, that can be a challenge. But there's a button you can press. You should be able to put it into a pairing mode. And for the life of us, we could not get it into that mode in order to set it up. So... Yeah, that's just nuts. It should be much, much easier. Now, the 3D motion, what does that mean? Is that like a LiDAR thing, kind of like we have on our phones? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know that they really give details of what is entailed there, but it seems like it's it's above and beyond what they've done in the past. And probably being a wired device, they can do that. But yeah, I don't know what actual like technology thing enables that. And I don't see anything on this page that really indicates that. But yeah, I would guess some sort of some sort of radar or um, yeah, some sort of different sensor included on there that might be uh, providing that uh, capability. Interesting. I might need to look into that. My problem is that I don't need a light where this is. In fact, I don't want a light where my camera is because it's right near the door. And the last thing that I want during the summer is a big bright light right at the door drawing bugs. So I hope that this technology is something that they're planning on bringing to maybe new versions, maybe pro versions of some of their cameras. Yeah, that would be nice to to do that. And um, yeah, I don't know enough about about Ring to know that if this is if this tech is in anything else. So maybe this is like the first device to test that out and see how it works out. But I think especially for outdoor camera stuff, that's key. You know, I would say we get a lot of false motion with our floodlight cam in the backyard, which then turns on the lights, which shines into our family room, and you know, crosses over the TV. And so, like, I'm constantly going in the app and turning off the lights with that device. So hopefully this is a a little bit better experience. The next one. So we talked about this a little bit when we talked about your house. uh, And I think you're to blame for me buying this device, but uh, I mostly like it of the, uh, the Oro (laughs) switch in our house. We have this connected. I, when we we first moved in, I put in BR 30, what are those floodlights in the ceiling uh, of Hue? And at some point they got messed up or whatever, and we're not connected to our Hue bridge. So the Oro finally pushed me over the edge to get those set back up and working. But 
what was disappointing to me was what I really wanted to have happen was to be able to set a full scene using those lights and setting color as part of that scene. Mainly because our office is also where our Peloton is. And I wanted to have like a workout mode lighting scene. Mm -hmm. And I can't for the life of me figure out any other way to make this happen. Like I even was trying like hacky things. Like if the brightness is at this level, then set the color, you know, elsewhere. I couldn't get it to work. And Oro continues to roll out a lot of updates. And I will say they seem to be continually improving this product. And I like what I see here, but it still doesn't do that initial thing I wanted it to do. So it's a, a little disappointing in that respect. I think it'll get there. I think it'll get there. It is currently limited to setting brightness level of third party products, but it can't do anything else. And it seems like it would be a next logical step to incorporate the ability for it to maybe control hue scenes or something like that. Even, even that, like not, not go through the hassle of having to create an interface for color changing lights when that isn't what your product does. So why do you care? But they could build something in to let certain scenes that you trigger on their device trigger scenes in the hue world or in whatever smart collected uh, connected light bulbs they're supporting in the future. That should be fairly straightforward. And I, I hope that that is where they're thinking. I know that this is something that they have been thinking about because we talked about it over a year and a half ago when I had Colin on their CEO and founder on home on that they are thinking about things like color lighting and even circadian rhythm lighting and things like that. So hopefully we'll get there. I know HomeKit was also on their roadmap at one point and they've even talked about it and they're still talking about it. Yeah. It's an interesting device to fit into that HomeKit ecosystem. And I don't really know because it, as much as it's a light switch, it's also a controller. It's like, it's a lot of things. And I don't really know how you fit that into that home kit mold. Yeah, I agree. I think there are two things that I would want to see from that. I would want to see control of the device, meaning the connected load in on off and dimming capabilities from home kit. But I would also want to see the ability to have it used as a scene controller in HomeKit. That may be more tricky because you can create a set of scenes, any number of scenes for any room where you have Oro installed. So they may just be able to say, okay, well, this is a maximum of six scene controller or something like that. I don't know that you can have a dynamic number of controller options in HomeKit. Yeah, and maybe this is part of the challenge is that they're working with Apple to figure out how you do some of that. But I, I do think that scene controller aspect would make this a killer product. Yep. yep. It would allow what exactly what I want it to do, which is to set a scene with color. You know, that would unlock that capability. 
And if I could do that, I think I would start putting one of these in other key rooms where I have connected devices. Where this product is at right now, it will just stay the one I have in the office as kind of an experiment because it's also really freaking expensive. I think you said on the last episode, they increased the price even. (laughs) They did. They did increase the price. So this is now a $300 switch instead of a $200 switch. That's a, a big bite. It is still $200 for anybody who bought one. So uh, you're kind of grandfathered into the original pricing if you're already on board, which is a nice perk. Okay. But they also eliminated their multi-packs. And I don't know if... Well, no, let me say that differently. They eliminated a price benefit to buying multiples. Right. And that may be more of a sourcing issue now than anything else. I don't want to read too much into that. But I I do think that this is them signaling that their market is largely going to be installers and builders. And they'll still support DIY, but that pricing model seems to be far more aligned to the builder market. In general, though, I said, if I would have designed a light switch, this is the kind of thing I would have built. Um, You know, I had this grand idea based on a problem that existed in my old house, which was, I love the idea of having a light switch that could either control its connected load or could have that ability to be remapped or, you know, kind of put to other use. And, you know, they can do some of that kind of stuff. So I think there's legs to this concept. And I like the idea of a screen in that form factor, a touchscreen. And I would say, you know, as much as I complain that I still can't have color, I think this is a really interesting idea. And they're doing a great job in this space. They just have more work to do. Yeah, and for anybody who hasn't heard our past conversations about it, what's so cool about this from an industrial design perspective is that instead of doing something like Brilliant did, where they create this big add-on that kind of fits into and over the space of a light switch, this is a screen that literally fits in the space of the Decora insert, where you would normally have a paddle switch. And it is, in fact, a rocker paddle. Even though it's flat, it can be used as a traditional rocker, and it has a screen on it that can be mapped to a bunch of stuff. There's a lot of really, really cool stuff they could do with this, and I will continue to watch it. I think it has I think it has legs. Yeah. Hopefully that price change won't scare too many people away. And, um, you know, there's a lot of that going on in the industry with all of the component stuff going on and things like that. So, but we'll certainly keep talking about it. I, th- I think it's an interesting product. I won't go too deep on this, but um, we did a whole episode on hoobs. I put that into, into action. It's still in use in my home today. Go listen to episode 190 if you want more, uh, more approach on it. But I did want to mention when I did buy that, they have a couple different options, and I bought the 
most out of the box, I don't know, hoobs in a box approach where it literally came installed and ready to go. Um, one of the reasons I did that was I wasn't super comfortable with the whole like buy a Raspberry Pi and flash stuff on it and things like that. So I say that because in my next instance, I have now upgraded my skills and done that. And? Successfully. And your thoughts on the process? Uh, It's not as scary as I thought it would be. Exactly. Exactly. And and this was for hoobs? No. No. This was for something else. Oh, okay. So I bought my son a... This was kind of my sneaky get some STEM into the house. Um, This was before the kids were back in, in person in school. So I bought him a 3D printer for his birthday back in February. 3D printing has really come down in price. Um, There's a brand called Creality that is a Chinese brand that makes really nice printers. One of the things I learned is if you order one directly from them, you don't necessarily always get a well set up and configured and the latest software, you know, and, and, and. But I found this really great company in Houston that for a little bit of a premium will take your printer out of the box, set it up, put the latest software on it, configure it, test it, you know, and most importantly, also then support you when you have issues with it. So we got that, we got, you know, the basics of 3D printing going, but then I learned about this thing called Octoprint, which is a Raspberry Pi thing for monitoring and sending jobs to your 3D printer. Oh, cool. And this thing freaking rocks. It was like, it like upgraded our 3D printing experience to the next level. Where we started, you know, we would take 3D files and put them on an SD card, which you then put in the printer. And then, you know, you would forget that, you know, something was printing or you'd go up and see that it was all messed up and like, it was not a very good experience. This thing is the Raspberry Pi connected to the printer. And it has a whole, just like Hoobs, it has a whole bunch of plugins that you can plug in and do. One is a thing that um, you can do uh, time lapses of 3D prints. Super cool videos of your 3D print in like four seconds being built, even though it took three days. (laughs) Nice. The coolest one, though, is this this plugin called the spaghetti detective and it's called the spaghetti detective because when 3d prints go wrong oh yeah you end up with this bird's nest of spaghetti yep and they're basically doing image recognition on your camera connected to your to this octoprint to look for failed prints and what's awesome about that is it saves you time and material to stop it before things go wrong yeah, that's cool. That's really cool. And it also, they have an app, uh, the the Spaghetti Detective does, and they can securely kind of monitor your camera. I think that's sort of some of the security stuff with this is you really want it to just stay on the local network. This is a way to securely be able to kind of look in on those prints um, as you do bigger and longer things. So really having fun with that. And it's really helped us kind of have some confidence to up our 3d printing game. So 
Awesome. We're, we're slowly working our way towards a functioning Iron Man helmet, which is their goal by the end of the year to functioning functioning yeah with a with what a shield functioning shield you know the mask shield that comes down and eyes that light up so there's some servos and some computing that goes in there too so wow that's a major project yes that's very cool so yeah the biggest thing my son printed uh he's 11 but he printed a uh, a life-size thor hammer which we just recently painted and looks pretty freaking awesome so it's a it's a fun toy to have around the house. That's awesome. Now, I, I want to comment on the Raspberry Pi thing because I think people who have been listening to me podcast for a while have probably heard me say in the past, anytime somebody says, oh, we'll just set up a Raspberry Pi or an, or an Arduino to do X, Y, and Z, I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, I can't be bothered with that. I will say, and this was my experience with Hoobs, that some companies have done a really good job of helping complete novices through the process of flashing the software that they need and having it all inclusive. So your OS and everything is all flashed onto this card and you literally just stick it in, it boots up and you log in. I mean, they. I think we're getting to the point where They've managed to get this past just severe hobbyists. Yeah. I would say, you know, if you have something like Hoobs or if you have a 3D printer and you want to do this, like do your research, make sure it's a well supported either by a company in the case of Hoobs or I think Octoprint is just a really serious community that does a really good job of maintaining all those things, but, you know, has really great instructions and everything you need to, you know, make that a successful thing. So yeah, can't say enough good things about that. Nice. The other one we won't go into too deep. I think we've covered this on other episodes, but we've added more and more HomePod minis around our house. The kids got some for Christmas. I have one in my office now. We haven't pulled fully out of the Amazon ecosystem, but I could see doing it at some point, especially if that rumored HomePod with a screen on it ever became a thing, Uh, because I really like my Echo, whatever, big Echo with a screen in the kitchen, and I wouldn't want to give that up unless there's a HomePod with an iPad glued to it in the future. I know that HomePod has taken a lot of crap, and in fact, they're in the press again recently for just being an inferior smart speaker experience compared to all the other options that are out there. But I'm constantly impressed, again, by how good it is at hearing me, how good it is at understanding me, something that none of my other Siri-enabled devices seem to be able to do as well. And Decent sound quality from a tiny little speaker. Now, obviously not as good as the big speaker. And now that these are as popular as they are, you know, they're not competing in volume yet with the Amazon or Google options, but they're popular. I'm really surprised that they've given up on the core HomePod product because I would think this would help draw people into that product potentially if they want something with better sound quality. Yeah. 
I think we'll have to see what the rest of the year has to offer in the HomePod category. Because the, the retirement of the big HomePod, to me, felt like a timing thing gone wrong. That, you know, given the chip shortage and manufacturing difficulties and whatever, that there may be something else there. But because of how things are happening, there wasn't something there at the time where they had to pull it off the market. So I hope that Apple is open to continuing to play around with form factors for this kind of device and some other sizes and things. Because I also like my large HomePods. In fact, when they announced that it was canceled, I sort of panicked that I wanted to have a pair of them and um, found a test device that was at the office and quick asked around and were like, hey, can I have that? Um, so I didn't have to buy a second one. <laughs> and I now have a stereo pair in my kitchen over my sink, which is used for like dishwashing music. It's totally overkill, but it sounds great. Yeah, and after they were, again, canceled, I went and bought one for Edward because we were trying to figure out what would be a good music device for him in his office. And we thought Sonos, but I'm like, yeah, but with Sonos, the setup is not easy. And particularly if you're trying to set up the assistants to work with it. So I thought, all right, let's get one of these. The only one that was available that I could still buy from Apple was a white HomePod. So there's a white HomePod in his office He set it up himself entirely. He's not a tech guy. He does not like this stuff and has very little patience with it. And all I had to tell him was that he needed to go into the home app and create a new home for his office. And he was able to do the rest entirely. You wouldn't let him be in your home in your, in your virtual Apple home. Well, but how would that work? Because it's actually not in the same home. So oh, it's at the it office. It would connect to different yeah. Wi-Fi and everything else. Okay. So yeah. yeah. I was thinking my head was still home office, but yeah. No, no it was office office. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Yeah. So I hope we see more at some point. I would agree. Next one, you know, shameless self-promotion. I have put a bunch of ConnectSense rebooters throughout my house. <laughs> And uh, particularly, you know, in the last year where um, home internet has become more important, I want to keep those things online. We don't have a lot of outages at home, so it's not needed a ton, but certainly nice to have something to get things back online when when that does happen. So Now, when you say a bunch of, you market this as something specifically for a router, Do you have multiple routers around your home or do you have other use cases you're applying these to? Yeah. So the the two main places I have one is on my main Eero and my cable modem because sometimes the problem is not at the modem level. And then I have, we'll call it an experimental one in my office connected to one of my other Eero's. I don't think it's necessarily needed on every single router in the house, but it's good for those other ones. I think the other interesting place, maybe long term, to put something like this where you wouldn't even have it tied to internet connectivity would be like an Apple TV or something that's like hard to <laughs> that's exactly hard to reset. What I was thinking, yeah, yep. 
So yeah, something like that might, might be there. So yeah, I think, um, I mean the, the quick product update from a company perspective is this is, seems to be a product that has some legs. We have, we would like to do some more with it and, um, really make it more useful. So we will definitely be digging in and doing more there in the future. I have one of these packed to go down to the beach house so that I can hook its router up to this and be able to monitor it. Yeah. It's super great for that kind of a place where you're not always there because those are the, those are the places where, yeah, if the network goes offline and gets stuck in that hung state and you need the ability to remote into, you know, in my parents' place in Florida, this is almost where this concept was born. My parents had place in Florida, still do, and their network would go offline all the time. And we would leave when we weren't there, we would not have the air conditioning on. But when you go in advance of showing up, you want to turn the Nest thermostat and turn on the air oh, conditioning. Yeah. So literally our solution at the condo in Florida was like those old kitchen timers with a, you know, plug connected light timer things. And it would just reboot the internet every night because whatever their modem Mm -hmm. and router were just super unreliable. And those light timers did the trick. So, you know, out of that problem, the, that product was born. That's cool. Um, it was kind of fun to look through my notes from last year when we did this, because on my list of projects I wanted to do was uh, ring solar path lights. And I said last year I was just waiting for them to go on sale and I would buy them. Well, they went on sale and I own them. Yay. So I like these. I think they work well. The one uh oh was when my sprinklers got turned on this year. Apparently, one of the sprinkler lines was right under where I put one of the solar path lights because it caused a large leak. Oh. Yes. So um, they came and fixed that. And I still have a solar path light to reinstall, hopefully not on top of the water line. Oh, yeah. And my utility or whatever it's called, they don't necessarily know where your uh, water lines are for your irrigation if they come out and mark stuff. That's... Wow, I didn't even think of that when I was putting mine in. I guess I lucked out yeah, and didn't have that problem. I'm glad. I think this is such a better design than the original version, which you can still buy. But one of the things that they did a really good job with on this one is by having the solar panel on the top, it gave them a surface on which they could have all of the electronics and battery, and then the light shines down from that. So the light is much better directed on pathways and not in your eyes. I think during the winter, I had a little bit of issues with them staying charged all the time and having enough sun to keep them charged. I obviously haven't noticed that in a while, but it'll be interesting to see this winter if that becomes an issue. It was never that big of a problem such that I like brought them in and charged them. But yeah, I guess depending on where you live, just keep that in mind that uh, you might not always get enough sun to keep these working 100%. But they're designed to deal with that. Like you just suggested, you twist the top off, you bring it inside and you just hook it up to USB power and recharge it. 
and they even expect that a couple times a year you may have to do that if you don't get sufficient sun. They need a good cap for when you have to do that, though, because it right because it, it leaves it open. Yeah, if it rains, like I had yep. happen, when uh, yep. Probably the solution for that is to actually bring the whole thing in because you can you can unscrew it from the the part that sticks in the ground and then you wouldn't leave anything exposed because, yeah, I did that and then it rained or it snowed or whatever. And I had to kind of unscrew it and shake it out. I mean, there's nothing in there really to damage. But, uh, yeah, you don't want to water a rain gauge, unintentional rain gauge. <laughs> the new ring rain gauge. <laughs> add a sensor and there'd be another feature there. <laughs> so yeah, and I didn't, you know, I didn't even think I had that many things to talk about. Look, and we're, you know, we're going pretty long here. So the last big one was when the Eero Pro 6 was announced. I have gigabit internet coming into the house and, you know, uh, a handful of kind of the latest and greatest devices that have Wi-Fi 6 in them. Um, I think phone, my iPad, um, all were compatible with that. And so, you know, when you pay for gigabit internet, you want to be able to use your gigabit internet from as many of your devices as you can. Um, we also have a pretty thorough wired network in our house, but obviously being able to access that when you're not plugged in was encouraging to me. So I've been pretty happy with this. They were not certified on HomeKit Secure Router at launch. I haven't looked at it that closely to know if it's even there yet or if it's been announced. I don't know if you've heard anything about that. I do not. The other weird thing about this that wasn't clear to me, but as far as I understood when I bought this and I bought this thinking that was that there are like three versions of these. And my understanding was if you wanted a true gigabit network, you needed the pro version everywhere in your house. And it read to me like if if you had any nodes in the house that were not pro, it would reduce the capacity of the entire network. And I think that's pretty common and it probably points to it running one network, not like multiple parallel networks. So, for example, in my Unifies, I can have the 2.4 and 5 working simultaneously and devices connected to each on the same hub or on the, on the same access points. But I don't think that's possible on many different devices, many different access points. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it makes it expensive to do it this way. But I think with the number of devices and how important the network was in my house, I didn't I didn't really bat an eye at it, but yeah, I guess sort of if you're looking at Eero 6 stuff, I would definitely consider how important that gigabit speed is to you. Maybe 500 meg is enough and kind of what the form factor you need in your house is because yeah, I probably could have gotten away with some lesser devices in some areas of my house, but that gigabit speed was kind of the key reason why I was even buying any of this. So I didn't want to do anything to lessen that that draw. And then the last one I'll mention was a, a, a panic buy of a, a Harmony Elite, as we maybe talked about on the show, maybe <laughs> didn't. You know, Logitech came out and said they weren't going to make any new Harmonies 
but they would still support them. I had actually been looking at kind of what was in the market and not finding a lot that I liked or really anybody that I felt was better solving these problems. And um, like I've been a Harmony user for quite some time, probably early 2000s when they first, before they were part of Logitech, I had a Harmony remote. So I don't know who's going to slot into this, but I at least I have the best one and a new version of the best one to last me a while and uh, fun side effect, I found a 3D model to put an AirTag on the back of it. So I have an AirTag on the back of my Harmony Elite, um, which seems to work pretty well. That was my biggest problem. You know, when you live in a house with children, Richard, they hide your damn remote. Oh, yeah. Constantly. Okay. That's fair. I'm like, I don't understand why people lose remotes all the time, but that makes sense. Yes. Yeah. When makes you sense. have little people who, you know... It's at the table. It's in the couch cushions. It's, you know, somewhere that makes no sense. It's in the bathroom. You're like, why is the remote in the bathroom? Yeah, no, that that that's a good point. All right. I'll give you that. I You know, I did something similar. I bought two Harmony Companions, actually, which is the screenless remote that they make. Runs off of the same hub, but it's all buttons. And it includes buttons for smart home device control. I thought this would be perfect both for maybe the beach house, but also for home if and when our current remote dies. Although I did buy spares for those too. We currently just use the smart remote, which is the same form factor, no no screen, all buttons, but no smart home control stuff. And I was like, this would be great. I can hook this up and I'll just tie this to my Insteon scenes because it controls Insteon, but they never implemented the buttons so that you could actually press the buttons to call up an Insteon scene. They only implemented it so that you could call up devices. And if I start controlling devices as one-offs outside of my scenes, that's just going to put everything out of sync which means the switches won't match the state of the devices. That makes Edward unhappy, which makes me unhappy. So I probably won't be able to use the smart home stuff after all. But it's a nice remote. It's a really nice remote. And I don't understand how there isn't a company that has figured out how to make a reasonable business out of this because I refuse to believe that everybody's just using the apps on their TVs now, and that's all they need. And nobody's remote does a good job of controlling their box and your TV. Nobody's. We're, we're not going to go deep into my parents' lake house today, but the only one that I think is a pretty nice setup that I accomplished for them, they have a single TV, that mm-hmm. uses the Sonos soundbar um, using Arc and an Apple TV. So now I can use the Apple TV remote to turn on the TV, one input only, and it can control the volume using Arc to the Sonos soundbar. So now it's Apple TV remote, the new one that doesn't stink for everything. That actually has a power button on it, if I remember yep. correctly. Yeah. So you can do everything with that. Obviously, when you put a receiver and some other components in the mix, that's impossible. 
Yeah. I mean, if you have, if you have a receiver, if you have a game console, if you have, I don't know, an LG TV that periodically likes to throw modal announcements on the screen that you have to acknowledge <laughs> with their okay button. Yes. Which you can do through the harmony, but yeah, no, it's a pain. Right. So yeah, I, I think that was a wise investment. Yeah, I think for our setup, which does include many of those things, it's it's the best path for now. But hey, companies, hey, innovators, here's a space that's ripe for somebody to do it right and uh, do it better. But it's probably more complicated than you'd think because the world of devices is always expanding and there's a lot Absolutely. to support. So it's, yeah, well, it's not and that so easy. license license Logitech's database because that's that's how they're going to make money on this going forward is they will license that out to manufacturers which is already like a high cost of entry but anyway all right let's move on that was the list of stuff that you have been working on there's a bunch of stuff that you didn't get to do too and we'll talk about that shortly but before we do that we're going to take a quick break in case we have sponsors and then we'll return with more smart home discussion Everyone says that starting a podcast is easy, but let me tell you, making a podcast is hard work. That's where today's sponsor, Lightning Pod, comes in. If you have a podcast or you want to start one, then you should check them out. They can help you with every step of the podcast production process. We've been working with Lightning Pod founder, Eric Johnson, for more than a year, and he's really helped us take the Smart Home Show to the next level. Eric currently helps us with editing and copywriting. But he's also available to help your podcast with recording, monetization, website design, and more. Learn more at lightningpod.fm. All experience levels are welcome. So whether you're a veteran podcaster or a total newbie, you should check them out. That's lightningpod.fm. Okay. So yeah, I mentioned earlier, kind of going into uh, doing this episode, I actually thought this episode was going to be more about my list of shame and things I hadn't done <laughs> than actually things I had done. But I'm glad I surprised myself. I won't go super deep on all of these, but we can talk about some of them, which is that I have, you know, a ton of devices. You know, it's a lot more fun sometimes to just buy new things than it is to actually install them and put them in use. <laughs> you know, some thoughts on this. Why do these? Why does this happen? And in some cases, it feels like work to do this. It's not what I want to do to relax. It's not the first thing that comes to mind when I'm like, hey, I've got free time. Right. I also don't always have free time. Like life has gotten a bit more busy as kids have re-entered activities and things. So yeah, I do want to get around to some of these. But yeah, these are all things I do have laying around um, for future projects. So it almost reads like a uh, like a Christmas song of uh, two motion sensors. You know, I won't go through all of them, but yeah. So I have two of the sing it. Come on, Adam, two sing it. motion sensors, one neutron button. Yeah. So, um, but yeah. So the first one was two uh, hue motion sensors. Great sensors. Yeah, I'm still a big fan of these, and I think I talked about last time we did this. My wife loves motion sensing everything. Probably the two places for those motion sensors would be like our bathroom downstairs, I think would be a nice place where, you know, just walk in and the lights would come on. 
and our laundry room, I think would be another good one. What makes that a more comprehensive project is you're either putting in a cassetta switch to control the existing lights or you're replacing all the current bulbs with hue bulbs. So depending on the, you know, the requirements of that, I would have to do one of those two things. So that's where my Lutron button comes into play. A, a few of the areas in the house, that's what I've done. I, I swap out the bulbs for hue bulbs. I put in a Lutron bulb over a button over the existing uh, light switch, and then I put the motion sensor in place. And when you say a Lutron button, do you mean a, like a Lutron switch? No, this is the, I don't remember what the actual name is, but it's the button that fits over the light switch and makes it so you can't turn it on and off, but then controls oh, the hue bulbs. Oh, yeah. Oh, Aurora. Yep, yep, yep. The Aurora knob. Yes. Yeah, that that is, yes, love that thing. Yes. So I have one of those waiting to be deployed. Another one that I picked up was, and I think you said you have these uh, as three Moen water sensors. I bought a three yes. pack of these after seeing yeah. that they were the wire cutter pick. These are Moen flow, whatever it hits a little close to home. Cause Moen's a customer and we were involved in their shower projects. There's like three, three categories of Moen devices. There's the shower, uh, there's the sink and there's those flow devices. I think they all three have their own apps. I will now have the Moen trifecta of apps and, you know, maybe someday we'll beg the management there of like, please unify these things all under one <laughs> ecosystem that all works together. Yeah. I've had that discussion too. Yes. Yeah. And I, I believe um, somebody told me that Flow has been fully purchased by Moen now. So they are a part of the company, whereas previously they were just, it was an investment in, in Flow. I don't know. Hopefully that's something they're working on, but I hear their, mo their water sensors are good. I think water sensors are a good thing to have in your basement in kind of key areas. So I will probably put those in place at some point. I have three Cassetta dimmer switches. I still think this is my go-to light switch. Just a matter of figuring out where all I want to put these in and having the energy and time to do that. I had two hue bulbs, which when I was looking through my box of shame were BLE bulbs. I don't know why I bought BLE ones, so I might not even have a use for those um, because I use all um, the Zigbee ones. Ah, uh, but they are universal. Oh, they're both. So the BLE versions... See, this is why I think it was a bad idea that they did this, because I think this confuses people. There are two different app experiences. If you're using just BLE, it means you don't have to have their bridge. But if you use the Zigbee versions with their bridge. The BLE versions are compatible with the Zigbee version. They, they have Zigbee in them as well. Ah, okay, so that explains it. Yeah. So they did a good job of making it backward compatible, but I still think it's confusing that you can use Hue and a subset of its functions without the bridge if you buy the new ones, but not the old ones. But I don't if get you it, want but. to throw motion sensors, for example, in the mix... Those are not BLE, so you still have to have a hub in the mix with those. I would assume so. I don't think that they have BLE versions of those, correct? I, I looked into this, and they don't. Okay. So, yeah, and because I would like to do some things 
at my parents' lake house with those. They do not have a a hub today, so we would need to do that for them. The other one that I had far too long, I probably talked about it last year on this list, was uh, Nano Leaf Canvas. We have a finished third floor, which is where the 3D printer is. It's now where the gaming computer and our VR setup all is. So I think this would be the right cool area to have some nano leafs set up. Just a matter of finding time to do it. It'll probably lead to more nano leaf purchases too, because those things are cool, but you need a lot of them and it's really expensive. This is the one that I can't believe you haven't done yet because this seems like the most fun project, but you're right. It's also going to take a good amount of work. Yeah. No, the kids mention it from time to time of like, Hey, why haven't we put those up yet? For a while it was, we hadn't put them up yet because they would fight over whose room they could go in. So we've at least <laughs> created a good neutral area that um, they both share. So. I have a TP-Link power strip I bought, I think, just on an impulse buy because it was on super sale at some point. I think probably they, from a power strip standpoint, they probably have one of the nicer products there. Uh, I don't think it supports HomeKit, but it does do the other two ecosystems. So uh, not necessarily a use for it. I just bought it because it was on sale. One that I bought mainly just to experiment with because I wanted to understand how this stuff all worked is um, NanoLeaf's light strip, um, which is thread, and you can connect to a HomePod mini. So I haven't ha- done that experiment yet, but I think it's interesting that you can, and those are HomeKit in that kind of configuration. So that's one I want to play around with a little bit more. And that's still something I just... I'm not able to wrap my head around this idea that you can connect thread enabled devices to a home pod, but so what, why is that any different than just using it through HomeKit? I just don't understand. At some point in time, I need to be educated on this. Yeah. We probably need a good guest to uh, talk about thread and matter and all that other kind of stuff. That's, this is going to become important in that case, but yeah. The simple explanation is the HomePod Mini is how they get to the internet. So it's thread to HomePod Mini, HomePod Mini to the rest of the world. Okay. So the bottom line being they don't need a bridge. That is the bridge. That is the bridge. Yeah. Okay. The light bulb just went on in my head. There you go. A thread connected light bulb. That's what I learned today. So, um, yeah, that's that's sort of the list of shame on my list of... um, Projects I'd like to do in the next year, the additional ring floodlight cam was sort of my next step in adding more cameras to the outside of my house. I still like the idea, and I think I talked about this last year, of kind of having more or less full coverage of my property via cameras. I'm probably 80% of the way there. I probably just need some side of the house cameras. I think at this point, I would probably stick with the ring ecosystem to do that. And the challenge for those next couple are they would need a way to be powered. And I think ring and Arlo both have these little like solar panels that will power your camera, you know, without it being actually connected my experience with the Ring stick-up cam gives me faith that 
solar would actually be able to do that and maintain that, but probably worth experimenting with. And in this kind of realm of things, I just bought some Arlo Pro 4s and solar panels and their version of a floodlight camera for our office. So I'm going to stay in that ecosystem for the office, but probably at home, all my cameras are going to live in the ring. I'm not a big fan of the very Arlo look of that device. It is distinctively different from what you would expect a light to look like. Yeah, I mean, I, it's different, but I don't know. At least for the office, I didn't care what it looked like. Is this? Did you get the light and camera or just the camera? The Arlo ones? Yeah. Um, I got. I bought two of the the light and cameras and a couple of the maybe three a three pack of just cameras mm-hmm. so kind of covered the perimeter of the of the building cool i'll be interested to hear how those are yeah we'll definitely check in on that and then yeah last one was on my list last year still on my list is doing shades in the house it's still on the uh, smart home dream list i still need to you know cozy up to some of my friends at Rollies, which is one of our customers and we build their home kit hub and uh you know give me this give me the uh, inside deal on shades but i'm not going to do it until i can do it completely um which is probably part of the problem that completely no you can't do it just no go bigger go no. home richard no shade all the pick things pick a room pick a room yeah maybe the home theater yeah it it would be good there but if I get somebody that's going to give me a really good discount, you know, I don't want to have to bug them again. So then I'm just going to do it all at once. <laughs> I don't know. We'll we'll get there eventually. Huh. Wow. So. Wow. Yeah. But yeah, that's that's sort of where things are at in my house right now. All right. Well, that's a lot. We'll have to check in next year and make sure that the items on your to-do list for this year don't end up just piling into your list of shame, right? So yep. I, I at least uh, set everything out that I haven't installed for now. So at least I have to look at them. Maybe that'll equal some motivation to get them done. <laughs> All right. All right, cool. Well, as we usually try to do, we're going to end this episode with a question from a listener. And we got this Question from Jake on Twitter. He reached out to us and said, you guys are always complaining about the Chamberlain MyQ. (laughs) Very true. But I never hear suggestions about something better. Any ideas? Need to add some smarts to my garage and would prefer to do it just once. Yeah, I I responded to Jake on Twitter, but I I wanted to talk about this for everybody else and kind of give our perspectives here. For me, the MyQ is not great, but it's not bad enough that I've actually, you know, decided to boot it out. I just augment it with ring stick-up cams. <laughs> but I have at least looked at this space and and this question kind of pushed me to I didn't remember what I had seen that it sort of caught my eye and and making a quick pass at it. I looked at the wire cutters article which we'll include in the show notes. And I think what had caught my eye was the Tailwind, which is their pick, but it doesn't currently have HomeKit support. 
But this looked like it had some interesting features, such as detecting when you get home and opening the garage for you, and some unique things like that that uh, are not prevalent in the the MyQ side of things. Um, they also have an upgrade pick on their list, which is the iSmartGate Pro, which has support for all the ecosystems, um, but it's significantly more expensive. And again, like I didn't see any major thing that this did that would cause me to pull out my MyQ. But those both look like interesting solutions. Yeah, and just to qualify there, when you say they, you mean that the wire cutter also had an upgrade pick, not Tailwind has yes, an upgrade yes, offering. Yes. On the on the wire cutter list, often they have their default pick, and then they often have what Adam ends up buying, which is their upgrade pick. And they also ha- oftentimes have an economy yes. pick. So, all right. Well, I wanted to follow up with a friend of mine, Dave McCabe, who you may know as the host of the Reset Podcast, because I knew that he has been testing the Maris garage door opener. Maris products typically come in very inexpensively compared to a lot of the other products that are out there. And this is a very, very simple box that you kind of wire in line like a lot of these other ones. It does need to be wired and it also needs to be wired to magnetic sensors that connect to your door instead of using a tilt sensor. Now, the importance of that is that that keeps the costs down so that you don't have to worry about a bunch of wireless stuff in this thing beyond just being able to communicate with it through Wi-Fi. But additionally, it's oftentimes much more reliable. So his experience with using this has been that it has been incredibly reliable He sent me some pictures today, in fact, of the installation and even the widget that Maris offers on iOS so that just by swiping over to your widgets, you have a control panel to be able to quickly open and close any of your doors or or any other Maris products that you might have as well to control those. And he loves it. He's He's been really happy with it. It gives notifications when the door is left open. You set a threshold or you can set a certain time after which it shouldn't be left open and you can have it notify you. So a lot of good capabilities at a nice, reasonable cost there. Does it support any of the ecosystems or is it more just a standalone experience? That's a really good question. I'm pretty sure that it is support- or supported by Amazon and Google. I don't know about HomeKit. It's a question I didn't answer, but I suspect if you just took a quick look at this in Amazon, it looks like it has all of them. An yeah, HomeKit, Amazon, Google Assistant, IFTTT, and SmartThings. So seems like a pretty good option. Very nice. Very nice. So thank you to Dave for supplying that information. I think that may have qualified as his official review of the product. There you go. All right. Well, if you have a smart home question, you can send it our way with the hashtag AskSmartHomeShow uh, or just tag Richard and I on uh, on Twitter and uh, you know harass us about something you, never, you only hear us complain about, but uh, never hear a solution for. And maybe we'll give you a solution. Yeah, that's a really good question. Really good point. Mine are still in, mine is still installed. My my Q. Yeah, I have another one in my 
cabinet of shame that I haven't yet installed. Adam, how can people get a hold of you if they want to find out more about you or uh, share some of their thoughts about the smart home? Sure. Yeah. So you can find me on Twitter at Adam Justice or everything my company's doing at ConnectSense.com. How about you, Richard? You can find me on Twitter at Richard Gunther and you can go listen to my other podcast. That's that's what you can do. Go listen to Entertainment 2.0 over at the Digital Media Zone. That's a good way. All right. You can find this show... <laughs> As part of Technology.fm, which is a collection of great tech-focused podcasts, it includes the Home Tech FM show, the Food Tech show, and my other show, which is currently on hiatus, Home On. And, of course, you can find this show at SmartHome.fm. If you have feedback for us, you can send that to feedback at SmartHome.fm. And if you want to listen, the best way to do that is to follow or subscribe at Apple on Overcast or anywhere else that you find your podcasts. Do us a favor, leave us a rating or a review, but most importantly, tell your friends. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening. <laughs>